Welcome along to the Final Forum Podcast. I'm Emerson Kennedy. It is great to have your company. Uh, make sure you've liked and subscribed to the show. And if you haven't already, enter our Galway Races competition. You and three friends, and there are three chances for you to win, uh, heading to any three days that you would like at the Galway Races. How do you win? Simply send us a screen grab of you subscribed to the Final Forum Podcast. We want it to go to a Final Forum Podcast listener. There will be three individual winners choosing any three days you want to go to for three people, you and two friends. So it's all the threes for this competition. Uh, tweet at Radio Emmers or at Final Furlong Pod, a screen grab of you subscribe to the Final Furlong Podcast. Uh, you can do it on Facebook as well. You can email us. Details are there on the Twitter pages. Uh, we're going to announce the winner on Thursday's preview show. We've extended it to Thursday. Best of luck. Uh, three individual chances to win three tickets to the Galway races. Uh, and find out more information at Galway Races' home site. I am delighted to say that as we dig into the big stories and the huge performances from the weekend, that we are once again joined by former jockey Louis Stewart. Welcome back to the show, Louis. Thanks, Emmett. Good to be back on the show and really looking forward to this one. It's been a busy old time for you. You've made your proper debut on TalkSport 2 with myself and the wine tipster Neil Phillips. We were all on air together on Thursday. A nice quiet day. No big stories to get stuck into in that one. <laughs> what a time to make your debut. An ex-jockey having to talk about another jockey being embroiled in a huge scandal. Uh, and you covered it really well. But this is your first full... You've pretty much had a week now of adjusting to life outside of the saddle while still being a work rider. You're now working with, with Sideman Soror on a regular basis, which is great. But how has the first full week of not being a jockey hit you? Yeah, really good. Very happy with my decisions and and coming to terms with obviously what's 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 happened. Um, it's never an easy it's never an easy decision to make, but one that was right for me. Nothing is new to me really in Saeed Yard, as I used to go in there quite often and and gallop plenty of his horses. But really enjoying it and enjoying being able to eat what I want and not have to sit in traffic all day. It's the little things, Louis. It's the little things. Shall we do the weekend review? Let's do it. Disappointing turnout for the Coral Eclipse. There's no getting away from that. Only four runners for one of the most prestigious Group 1 races of the entire season. That's not good. But boy, were we treated to some spectacle. Uh, Paddington holds off Emily Upjohn, the four-year-old filly and dual Group 1 winner by half a length to claim his third consecutive Group 1 for Aidan O'Brien, a record-breaking success in the race for, for Aidan, who just continues to smash records left, right, and center. Um, Ryan Moore saying afterwards that he felt Paddington didn't fully showcase his true ability, uh, but that he still showed a lot of pace and gears, which is quite a frightening prospect for what this horse could be capable of doing later in the season. Um, the turnout, the running style, and the epic finish. What did you make of it, Louis? Oh, God, I mean, word on the street is that Emmett Kennedy and the lads had it right off on Paddington. I mean, like, unheard of. They do something that all of us didn't, clearly. Um, I, like how I'm all... being, I like how I'm being grouped in with the lads as if they could pick me out of a lineup. But I'll take it, mate. I'll take it. I, I would if I was you. I'd love to be part of the lads. Yeah, right. I'm Absolutely. Just <laughs> well, neither is Derek Smith. Neither is Michael Tabor. There's time for you yet, my friend. Yeah, uh, there's time. I'll, I'll start drinking more Barry's tea and maybe I'll... <laughs> Um, inherit a percentage of Irish. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, what what a race, Emma. I, I know the turnout was only small and 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 whatnot, and it's it's disappointing to see in these high class races that there's there's only four runners. But 
my god i mean i i got goosebumps watching that i don't, I don't know about you but that that was for me i mean you couldn't ask for having any more class on show in in that race could you no you couldn't and if there was 10 runners in the race it wouldn't have made it better it just would have made it more appealing from an each way perspective but you we were treated it was a match and on unless like unless something like a Mastodaf, and even him, I'm I'm really not sure about that that horse at all. We'll we'll see. Highest rated horse in Europe. Yeah, all right, mm. mate. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm very glad you said that as well because yeah, bloody same. hell, talk about an overreaction. But anyway, we shall see. A, a wide margin winner at Ascot. Yeah, there's never been anything questionable with that kind of a performance in, in the past. Um, but we did get the two right horses, and look, I did not think Paddington was going to turn up for this race. I I, I thought Luxembourg was the more likely of the two. And then uh, somebody in the racing post did an interview with Aidan O'Brien last week. And uh, it became very apparent that Luxembourg was not going to be hitting here. And that Paddington very much was. And it's a quick turnaround. Like you're, you're going from Royal Ascot where you've just won. You've only just run in your second group one uh, of your life, um, which obviously he has gone on to win. Um, but it's a pretty quick turnaround to then be upping him in distance when the original conversation was go Sussex Stakes. And it probably is an example of how this horse has taken them a little bit by surprise because I don't remember there being an enormous amount of hype surrounding Paddington in any of the stable tours. I don't remember... I I, I, I do remember quotes along the lines of, like, <laughs> we're looking forward to running him. They mentioned the French Derby with him, French Guineas and French Derby. But... I don't remember reading anything that made me go, well, he's a serious horse. We're going to have to keep a, an eye on. And when the Guineas was run, obviously Aidan O'Brien's two for that race were August Rodin and Little Big Bear. He wasn't even in the conversation at that time. So yeah. he's done an awful lot in a very, very short space of time. And I thought this performance was massive. I, th- I thought this was a huge performance from him. Um, how exciting is he in your mind? Oh, I mean, he he could literally be anything. I mean, the own the only thing I think maybe why there wasn't so much hype on him is is I, I watch him and, and like he has quite uh and I don't want to say high head carriage and nothing hinders his running style, but he just looked like at Sandown he was just playing with Emily Upjohn like he he was just waiting for her and then he thought all right well you know I can see you out the corner of my eye and I'll I'll just stay where I am and and beat you. It's like he, he must maybe at home keep a little bit up his sleeve or or maybe be a lazy workhorse and and he's probably been one of them horses where it took him his first run to really understand what was asked of him because of them reasons and ever since mentally he's just improved and and the pennies dropped each time because for him to improve at the the rate of knots he has is is somewhat spectacular in my eyes i mean he just he just literally has everything like he has the class he has the running style and most importantly he has the heart and that will to win and finish in front of racehorses which is which is i mean at any level emma if you're dealing with a a naught to 60 or a group one if your horse doesn't have that heart and will to win you know it's very hard to to produce the goods but he looked the real deal and i know this race does favor three-year-olds i i see a post-race interview with john gosden and he said lester pickett always told him that the coral eclipse and the king george was always in favor of of three-year-olds and and who, who are we to argue with 
the great man Leicester Piggott. I'm sure there was a lot of sense in that and, and clearly we're seeing that in, in recent years. Well, that actually goes to something I, w- I wanted to bring up because there is a narrative online that he's not that good and that uh, without the wait for age allowance, he doesn't win. That he's only won this race because Emily Upjohn has to give him the weight concession. As though that weight no concession... Chance. Exactly. Thank you. As though that weight concession only just emerged this year. Like This has been going on for a very long time. And that's a dangerous road to go down. Because the people who are saying, oh, he's, it's not that good a performance and he's only won because she's having to give him the weight for age allowance. So does that mean that See the Stars is not goaded? There are people who would have See the Stars goated over Frankel. Those people are insane, by the way. And I have flirted with that notion myself a few times, and I think I've even tweeted about it back in the day. And I will proudly say, yeah, then those moments I was insane. Clearly, Frankel goated overall. But if you're going yeah. to start questioning, oh, well, how good is that horse because they have the benefit of the three-year-old weight allowance, it's like, that. that's a pretty dangerous route to go down. Um, and my overall point about Paddington is Emily Upjohn has far more experience. Now, in terms of race numbers, she's only had one more race than him in his life. Uh, in life, she, He's had seven completed starts. Uh, she's had eight. However, she ran as a two-year-old and won. She won a classic trial. Uh, she was very unlucky when beaten in the Oaks, again, blowing the start. She's running a King George. She's won the Philly and Mare Turf on Champions Day at Ascot. She's been hugely impressive as a four-year-old in the Coronation Cup, and now she's coming to Sandown. He made his debut at Ascot, and bizarrely, we were on TalkSport 2 that day, Lee McKenzie and myself, just worked out that happened to be covering the meeting, took a real interest in this fellow on his debut, and he was green as grass. He didn't have a clue what was going on. He didn't even know what it was to be a racehorse. I don't think he even identified as a racehorse. He didn't know what was happening. Um, And they got him back on the track like a month later, and he bolts up in his maiden. And Aidan O'Brien was on the show. Uh, he's been on the show a few times, thankfully. But in the build-up to the Royal meeting, he was talking about the decision to run him in the Madrid handicap. And he was saying that they wanted to go softly with him. They needed to get him there, but he had a good mark, and they wanted to just see how they would get on and, and take it as easy as they could while getting him to learn. Wins the Madrid handicap, wins a listed race, and jumps from a listed into a Group 1 Classic. That's not Aidan O'Brien's modus operandi. That's not how he does things. So they've almost parachuted him in. Now, they were talking about French Guineas, French Derby. That was what the conversation was. Uh, he goes to the Curra and beats High Royal by a further distance than Caldean did in the 2000 Guineas. Goes to the Royal meeting and is even more impressive there, where I think a lot went wrong for him that day. Like there's there's now a rewriting of Caldine that oh actually Frankie did too much out in front and he was too keen and couldn't quite have enough in the finish. Frankie was able to control that race. He had the perfect position, he had the perfect spot, Ryan's had to come wide, and he's bolted up. But he's done all that in a very short space of time, since March to July. She has had all of that other experience. Uh vastly more experience than he is in terms of what it is to to compete at the highest level, and he still managed to go and beat her. And and so I, I, I take the criticism of the weight for age allowance on board, but those people who are saying that 
There's a big fan base for King of Steel right now on, on social. Uh, are those same people going to question King of Steel's victory in the King George if he goes to do that, if he wins by a similar distance? Are they going to? Are those same people who are criticizing Paddington now going to go, oh, well, that King of Steel, yeah, he's only done it because he's getting the weight for age allowance? Are you going to say the same thing about August Roden if he wins the Irish Champion Stakes? Oh, he's only done it because of the weight for age. Like, it's a very dangerous road to go down. Yeah, how can anyone knock this horse Paddington? I just think watching the Eclipse on Saturday, the fact there was only four runners made it the perfect match race in who is the best. Mm. You only have to watch the race. West Wind Blows set a nice gallop. Tactics did not come into play in this race. Like you, whether you were sat second or where, whether you were sat behind Paddington where Emily Upjohn was, tactics did not play into anyone's strengths. It was the best horse wins this race. And all you had to do is look a furlong and a half out who was still in the bridle, Paddington. Now, some would say the turner for Emily Upjohn had an Epsom. Technically, if she was the best horse in that race, she would have been the last one off the bridle and finished with a faster turn of foot like she did at Epsom. It wasn't the case. Paddington absolutely cruised into the race like, I mean, Ryan Moore's body language. He was basically just laughing at the rest of them. He yeah. he, he could have felt, Ryan could have felt he was going to win from two and a half down. I, I can tell you that from a jockey's perspective. You, you know how much your horse has left under the tank and... Ryan was basically just kidding him into the race and Emily Upjohn was just basically there for, for company just to keep him straight at the end. I, I feel like I, I it was just a match-up where the best horse won and it was fair, honest racing between two very good horses and Paddington's just been a, a revolution to his handicap mark not so long ago. It is extraordinary that he was is, odds it, against though? for that handicap that day. Yeah. <laughs> like, with the benefit of what we know now, what a solid moral he was that day. Um, but again, even the fact that that's where they went, that because the Madrid handicap back in the day, like the old school racing fans will tell you, oh, that was a breeding ground for future Group 1 winners. Like that was a race that you would target with horses that were highly regarded. That hasn't been the case in recent years. It just hasn't been. The game's done changed. And yet they took him to that and now he's a triple group one winner. It's uh, I, I know, but don't don't you think, Emmett, that it was like I just said earlier that the reason they probably went down that route is because they could put him in a handicap with probably more runners, get more experience under his belt. They probably knew he had a lot of ability, but mentally probably wasn't quite there yet to take on real high class performers in smaller fields where mentally and tactically you probably have to be a bit more astute and you have to have a horse that's a bit more grown up where if he is to hit the front in a small small field, he's not idling as as much as what he would if he had horses taking him into the race, for instance, in a handicap. And I just think they took that route because mentally the penny hadn't dropped for him yet. But I mean we can't say that now, can we? I mean what 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 he's just done recently is is just unbelievable. No, I, I would completely agree with you on that. And I think that further goes back to the point about Emily Upjohn and the experience that she had coming into it. Because while yeah. it is only one more race, she is mentally much further ahead than he is. Um, and yeah. physically would be further ahead than she is. She's literally a four-year-old. Uh, he, has, he hasn't even been racing for a year yet. He made his debut in, on the 2nd of September. So he doesn't even have a full year of racing experience. And yet he's able to beat her over 10 furlongs. Now, switch this around and make it a mile four group one maybe we have a, we're having a different conversation then. 
And and that leads me to the question about both of these horses and where they're going to go next and what you do with them. Um, I did note that there were a number of people like Tom Siegel who were suggesting, you know, maybe Coolmore's main arc hope is not actually August Road and maybe it's Paddington. And jumping on the idea that putting him in the Eclipse could suggest that they could go for a mile four uh, later in, in the season. I believe um, they're... They don't take the scattergun approach to Derby entries that they do to the Ark, uh, the Cool yeah. Boys. That's not the way they do things. And it can actually be a really good indication of the type of racehorse that, that they have and how highly they regard them by looking at who's entered for, for the Ark um, by the Coolmore team. And I'm just going to look this up real quickly because it's not Trisha's fault, completely mine. I didn't have this open. Um, horses that Aidan O'Brien has entered for the Ark are August Rodan, Changing of the Guard, okay, he ran well in the hard work the other day. Um, Emily yeah. Dickinson, right, uh, Hans Anderson, this argument is starting to fall apart already. Uh, Luxembourg, never-ending story, and Paddington. That's it. Uh, oh, they got Point Lonsdale in there as well, uh, Save the Last Dance. So it's a handful uh, of horses. It's not the scattergun approach that they take to the two-year-old Group 1s or to the, the Derby, for example, where everything that is eligible is entered pretty much straight away. Um the very fact that he was in there at all means that they must be thinking about that for for the long term. Now, do you want him to be running over a mile four on soft ground uh, at Parry Longchamp if that's what the ground conditions turn up to be in October? I'm not so sure you do, but I wouldn't be against it. Um, it appears as though he's going to go Sussex next, which would be the Giants Causeway route. Uh, and that makes sense to me because that mile division is not particularly good. But what would yeah. you do with him if if he's yours? Which direction are you going in with him? I believe hmm, it's, it's tricky. Obviously, Aiden and Coolmore have options, which is always nice to have, especially in these high quality races. I would be playing it in a way where I'd let Paddington tell me what he wants to do. I'm I'm sure the Sussex for me would would be a good route to go down. Like you say, the the division is probably an easier race or not the division, but the Sussex Stakes is probably going to be an easier spot for him to gain more mental experience and 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 probably just, I don't know, put the finishing touches on him. But but there's there's no reason to say that he won't stay a mile and a half being by Siuni. He's already won on heavy ground. He's won on soft ground. He looks versatile. I mean, who's to question what Aidan O'Brien can do with these horses? I, I wouldn't put anything by him now and and over recent years what he's shown trip wise in what his horses can do is is you know pretty much magnificent so i would not put it by him that he will run him in the arc at the end of the year officially the second highest rated son of sayuni ever so far um he is now joint second with satsas who won an arc um, and mm-hmm. just behind St. Mark's Basilica. I say just behind St. Mark's Basilica's official rating was 127, but Paddington's on the way to getting there. Um, St. Mark's Basilica didn't run again after the Irish Champion Stakes, and I don't think they would have gone for the arc with him because he was an out-and-out miler, 10 furlong horse. He does look to me like he would stretch out. He does look like uh, a mile four would be within his range. Um, I completely yeah. take on board what you're saying, and it, the, the entries are really interesting for him because it's the Sussex Stakes is next. He's also in the Judmont. He's obviously in the Irish Champion Stakes. And then his last entry is the Ark. I don't think Champion Stakes entries or Breeders' Cup entries will be open yet. Um, but mapping out what they decide to do with him now, 
he doesn't seem to be showing any signs of fatigue or any signs of, of struggling to cope with his racing. He seems to be taking it really well. He seems to have a, a really strong constitution. So Sussex Stakes is the obvious next place to go. He's an odds-on favourite for that race, and it's going to be pretty crushing if he's beaten there. He really should win. Uh, all due respect to Kevin Reinsworth's triple time and to Inspiral. Just, again, wait for age allowance. Oh, that's the only reason he's going to win. It's the wait for age allowance. Yeah, that's why. Uh, he's going to be very, very difficult to beat there. And and Caldine has kind of fluffed his lines now as well, which we'll, we'll come to in a second. Um, if he comes out of the Sussex well, I, I would roll him into the Irish champion stakes. And this is where things are going to get really interesting because it's a high-class problem for Aidan O'Brien. But if you ask Coolmore which of the two top three-year-old Colts that they have in training, which of those do they really want to be the big success at stud? It's August Rodan because he's a son of deep impact. Yeah. And, and having a son of deep impact, at, he's already secured his place at stud. Like He's a Group 1 winner at two. He's a dual derby winner. You can question what he did at the Curra all day long, and you can take the argument that King of Steel would have beaten him in the derby on another day. Doesn't matter. His place is secured at Coolmore stud. He is going to be a stallion. Um, question is, how much are they going to be charging for him? And if he wins the King George, I would nearly take the money. Like, I, I'm pretty adamant that at some point they're going to want him to win a Group 1 over 10 furlongs. I'm, and you and I have talked about August Rodin already, but it might just be that Paddington is the better 10 furlong horse. So... Uh, if August Rodden wins the King George, that's going to kill off all the haters, all the haterade that has been drunk around his Irish Derby win. Um, and uh, We need that. We do. What I really we want do. there, now that King of Steel has been taken out of the Grand Prix de Paris and that, and that option is off the table for him, what we really want is a proper ding-dong battle between those two where we finally settle it. And it's, yeah. uh, it's proven once and for all that one, either King of Steel draws, gets a victory over him, and it becomes 2-1 August Roden. And I would even say that like the, the fortuity sponsors of which we're not allowed to name anymore for controversial reasons. Oy, oy, oy. Um, oh, dearie me. Uh, but like that was only King of Steel's second lifetime run. I would easily forgive him a, a defeat that day. So I, I don't really count that as part of their matchup. Um, but you want a, a clear run for both to fight out that finish and whoever is the best horse wins. That's what you want to see. And then for yeah. them to rematch over 10 furlongs, because we are quite greedy. Um, but how do you think that, that thought process is going on? That now the Paddington has emerged, is there a possibility that Coolmore start to think, eh, you know what, maybe August Roden would be vulnerable over 10 furlongs. Maybe we'll just keep him to the 12 furlong races. We'll go King George, we'll go an arc trial, arc, end of story. That's him done, retired to stud. Paddington will keep him for the, the mile and, and group one races over 10 furlongs. Is that possible, or, or do they try to get a 10 furlong Group 1 into August Roden at some point? I mean, by all means, they can they can try. My my view on it would be exactly what you've just said. I, I would leave August Rodan at a mile and a half and, and use Paddington as, as the 10 furlong superstar. Paddington still in the eclipse. He absolutely pinged the lids, and he could have easily towed that field along in front with with the early pace he had. He's still probably raw and just understanding how to race, hence why his journey has been the way it has and, and he's developed the way he has. So I would say Paddington is is the, the, the speed horse and August Rodan is 
more of the gentleman and and the horse that is is your friend and he kind of waits for you to tell him what to do and and he's a horse that's very honest but at the same time needs probably a, a furlong a furlong or two longer than Paddington to really get in top gear like we see in the Epsom Derby and and probably didn't necessarily see in the Irish Derby because the way the race was was run didn't necessarily suit him but I would be leaving the the two as they are, mile and a half, August Rodan and Paddington, 10 furlongs. Yeah, that's what I would do. I, I, I think there's a chance they do that now as well. I think there's a real chance that... It uh, makes sense. It it does, but you know, you know better than me, and you'll know better than most, that there is massive pressure on these breeders to get a Group 1 win over 10 furlongs. But it yeah. might just be that with August Rodan they just take a hard line and they're like, look, you either want to send your mare to this horse, this son of deep impact who's no longer with us, who's a dual derby winner and a triple group one winner and hopefully will have had more group ones by the time he retires. Either want to bring him to him or you want to come to Paddington. Your choice, baby. We've got the market sewn up. That's kind exactly. Of- <laughs> but, but, but it's like, what would you want to see August Rodan in the Judmont International? Do you, do you, would you say that would be the race for him if he was going to win over 10 furlongs? Uh, I think he'd be more vulnerable at York, actually. I think he'd have a better chance of winning, and maybe I'm completely wrong with this, but I think he'd have a better chance of winning over 10 furlongs at Leopardstown than he would at York. Well, maybe, yeah, I, I guess so. York, York is York is a speed track and a track where I guess you have to have a bit more early toe and a bit more of a higher cruising speed. The good thing about York that I could say would suit him is a long straight. And if, if they had a pacemaker in the race and they wound it up from four down, it would play to his strengths. That's the, that's the only kind of positive I could see in, in him winning that race. Mm. Uh, not, not, not the only one. You know what I'm saying? He's got yeah, a yeah. class to win. I'm not saying that, but, but in, in looking at it tactically, I would think a pacemaker has to literally grab the race by the scruff of the neck, fall down and say, come and catch me and, and, and let him have something to aim at so he can really get, get motoring over 10 furlongs at York. It's a very flat York. Like, there's no incline. It is, it is all speed. And I think he would need a target to aim at in that race. I, I completely agree with that. And I think that's, that's summed up brilliantly. Um, is the Jubmont International going to come too soon for Paddington? After the Sussex? Oh... He'd have 21 days. I mean, I was going to say yes, but after spinning Royal Ascot round on his head and, and doing what he's just done, I mean, I'm going to say no. Three weeks is, I mean, he's got plenty of time. I'm sure, you know, he don't lack race fitness. His mentality's getting stronger and I'm sure he can just have an easy time with things at Coolmore, eat plenty of grass and turn <laughs> up and say, let's have a go. So here's the, the real big question with these horses. Um, it's, the more I'm thinking about this, by the way, the more I'm starting to think that I think Paddington is going to be the one who's going to run up, run in all these Group 1 10 furlong races and that they will run August Rodin in a 10 furlong Group 1, but it won't be in Europe. It'll be in the Breeders' yeah. Cup Classic. Yeah. And if he gets beaten there, you say, oh, end of a long, hard season, and he didn't quite take to the track. Send your mare to the the son of Deep Impact, August Rodan, now. Like, if he wins the King George and goes close or wins the arc, like, that should keep everybody happy. But if you run him in the Classic and he runs really well, or even if he falls out the back of the telly, you can say, oh, he just didn't quite take to the track. 
That was the Galileo excuse, wasn't it? When when he fell at the back of the telly in the Breeders' Cup Classics. Like, oh, he didn't, didn't quite handle the surface. Oh, well, but at least we tried. Uh, I think that yeah. might be what they'll do and let Paddington roll. And I think he's going to roll into all of these big ones. I think they'll they'll go Sussex, Judmont, Irish champion. Um, and that seems like a heavy schedule, but I think they'll do it. And um, I wouldn't be too concerned about him being beaten either. I don't... I'll take Paddington over well, Mostadaf. I'll, I'll tell you that. It was the same, but I, I, I don't think him getting beaten in America makes too much of a difference to his his selling career. Did you? Yeah, it's, it's if it was in Europe, different story, Emma. But yeah, it's it's worth a go. And and what he's shown us already, I mean, I'd I'd be going for it, wouldn't you? Well, one defeat shouldn't really Why matter not? anyway. I mean, it was it was so funny when Baid got beaten, and and you had all these people go, "Oh, not that good. Oh, he was rubbish." It's like one oh. defeat in his career, and it just happened to be his last race. Come on, man! I know it's it's crazy, but if you're going to do that, if you if you're desperate to get the Group One ten furlong race on the CV, which in the modern era that most people are, then then take him to the Breeders' Cup Classic, and it either happens or it doesn't. And if it doesn't happen, eh, don't don't freak out about it. It's all good. Um, Emily yeah. up, John. I thought John Gosden and Thady were were all class afterwards. Um. Overall aim for her is is the arc, and I think they're going to work yeah. backwards to that now. Um, what do you make of her prospects for for the arc? Yeah, I, I listen. There's there's no hiding from the fact she's a high class performer. I think she's. I do think she's got better with age. I feel like last year she probably didn't quite understand how to race properly, hence why we see her get beat in the Oaks. Yeah. She's going in the right direction. She has all the credentials to be a, a top-class mare, and, and she's already shown that. I think the arc is a perfect race for Emily Upjohn. I, I think she probably needs more time in between her races than than the likes of a horse of, of Paddington's stature. She is an older mare, and it probably does take a little bit more out of her than, than what it would a three-year-old. So I would be steady Eddie and have the the arc as my main goal where you go before that I, I would say she would need a run before the arc in the meantime yeah maybe one of the arc trials or the Yorkshire Oaks yeah I, I, Yorkshire Oaks for me I, I would say um, Emmett wouldn't you yeah, yeah that's that's where I would go she's nine to one is she bigger than that can we get a bigger price than that Trish Page up, please. Page up. Ten to we're getting ten to one. About her, I don't know how much you can get on for that ten to one. That seems very fair to me. Uh, she's yeah. a top class filly. She really is tough, and she's a. They've tried something. They've tried ten furlongs. I admire them for for going for it. Um, it it maybe in hindsight, there's a slight element of crap. We should have gone for the King George. But they've committed to that. They've gone for it. And uh, she's lost very little in defeat there. She's a high-class filly. She's a huge player for the arc. Um, the arc's a bit of a lotto. Like, you've got Ace Impact. I don't know how good Ace Impact is. He looked really good in the Derby in France. Um, August Rodin, I rate very, very highly. But there's a lot of people are trying to tell me he's he ain't that good. And the Curra proves it. I think your analysis, I love your analysis of how the Irish Derby went completely against him and he still managed to go and win the race. And yes, there is controversy about how Adelaide River was ridden in the finish of that race, but you addressed that perfectly as well. And particularly when you combine Shamie's riding style with how that race was run, Paddington, 
maybe they roll the dice over a mile four. I'm not so sure. Um, and, and then there's Westover, who 20 minutes after uh, Emily Upjohn is involved in that ding-dong battle with Paddington, uh, 20 minutes later, he comes out and backs up the Coronation Cup form uh, by going and winning the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud in pretty impressive fashion in the end. Um, this is a race that Alpinista won the year before, before going on to win the Arc that same year. Um, and that is probably going to be his main aim. Uh, it is worth pointing out that a horse like Broom won this as well, and like Broom's a really admirable, likable racehorse, but he's not, you know, he's not an upper echelon. Yeah. Uh, mile four, group one winner. And I thought this was a good piece of placing from Rafe Beckett. He's picked out arguably the weakest one mile four group one of the entire season. And and they've managed to go and, and get the job done and, and done well. Um, I'm not queuing up to back him for an arc. Uh, they have mentioned going up in trip with them. Irish St. Ledger is on the agenda, potentially, maybe. Um, you would imagine all the big international middle distance races will come into contention for him as well. What did you make of this win? Yeah, I love seeing Westover win. I'm, I'm I'm a real fan of him, as I am Rob Hornby. Rob Hornby's really turned a corner in his career since a few Group 1 successes in, in recent times. And I feel Rob knows this horse really well now. He gave him the perfect ride. It was just plain sailing. He kept everything so simple and he got him rolling with 500 metres to go, which was the real race winning manoeuvre for me. I, I think what we saw at Epsom, Emily Upjohn just used her turn of foot to great effect. And he was just a horse that was always closing at the line. It just takes him it takes him a good furlong, doesn't it, to really, really stretch out and get in top gear. And for me, he looks like he's settling down more now in his races than previous to last year, which is which is great. I'm sure... I'm sure he's going the right way in, in that sense. I know he gets a bit sweaty and, and people can have their doubts about him in, in the, the, the prelims, but a real deserved winner of this race. And I would love to see him step up and trip again. Yeah, I would too. They've talked about going for the King George and that, that King George is, if we just get August Roden and King and King of Steel rematching, that's enough for me. Like that's going to be proper. Um, and he was very disappointing at Ascot last year, but he's proven since then, uh, you know, since that that blowout in the King George behind Paul Driver, that he's a really consistent horse. Um, you know, he, he ran a, a good race in the arc on very soft ground, ground I don't think he would have liked. He's run a blinder in Maidan against the world's highest rated racehorse in Equinox. Um, I don't know what more he could have done in the Coronation Cup. And this was a deserved success. And you're 100% right about Rob Hornby too. I really like Rob. I think he's a... a Stylish, strong jockey, rarely makes mistakes. And I think the criticism of his defeat in the Derby last year was utter hogwash. Um, yeah. A little bit like the criticism of, of the rider on King of Steel. Like, come on. You know, what, what are you expecting these people to do? Uh, they can't work miracles. Um, yeah. But, uh, like, going forward, I think he can run well in a King George. I don't think he'd win it, personally. I don't think he'd beat... No, but, but Emma, don't, don't you think he takes... He... he how can I say this? I think he's a victim to himself sometimes, Westover, where he's a little bit too hard on himself pre-race. And I think yeah. races, especially them big group ones, if he has a hard race, I think it takes a lot more out of him than it would uh, than it would something else in, in a race like that. And I just think he might be under the pump where he's probably getting forced to over-race at Ascot or he's, you know, I, I just don't, I would give him a bit of time. 
I think he's going the right way and and let him now let let him know what he's there for and just get him enjoying it relaxing and 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 just developing as as a horse that will probably stay further in my eyes. Yeah, it, it's odd because he he doesn't have to improve that much or just has to have everything go his way in order for him to win a, a major group one. Like that is yeah. that is absolutely capable. He may very well win the King George uh, on a going day where everything goes right for him. But I think that's the thing to say. I think a lot of things need to go right for him to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, I think if, if Paul Driver turns up in the kind of form that he was in last year, then I don't think Westover will beat him, quite frankly. Um, yeah. And maybe they are better off to just look at going up in distance with him because Kiprios still isn't back yet. And who knows what Kiprios will be like when he does return. Hopefully he'll retain all that ability and, and be ready to go uh, and put up a big show in the, in the Irish St. Ledger. Maybe he won't be quite ready. And I, the Gold Cup winner looks like a really exciting prospect, Courage Dunamy, but that's a division that, with with um, Kiprios currently on the sidelines, it's a division that could be shaken up, and this fellow might be capable of doing that. So um, let, let's see what they do with him. Really good piece of placing, though, uh, and a very clever yeah, piece of placing. agreed. Ended up being a, a small field. Um, so that was a win for Judd Mont. It didn't go their way, though, the next day in France with Caldine. Uh, who was sent off a fairly long odds-on favourite for the pre-Jean Pratt, uh, dropping back to seven furlongs, running on soft ground. He was up with the pace early on, and then he just fell out the back of the telly. It was pretty underwhelming. Um, and worryingly, he's a similar distance in front of High Royal. Now, maybe they've just both massively underperformed, and it's a coincidence that they're side-by-side. Side, but you could read that in a certain way. Um indestructible was the best to the British and Carl Burke was, has talked about how he does think there's a big race in this horse. Uh, I, I'm not so sure after this. Good guess. Good guess if you got him. Fair play to you if, if you were on board this horse mm -hmm. uh, in, in the market. Um, positives for France, certainly. Uh, you, can, you can figure out a way to big up Ace Impact on the back of this success, but you're stretching to do it, but you can technically speaking do it. Um, but French racing has been in the doldrums for a little bit. It, it's been a case of any time we're bringing over a, a decent horse from Britain or from Ireland, those horses are, are winning Westover case in point yesterday. Uh, a lot of the two-year-old races last year were completely dominated, including some runnings of two-year-old races where there was no domestic runner for the French. It was all British and Irish horses running in their own races. Um, so it's a good turning point for France that they've got the one, two, three in one of their own group ones. But what did you make of the race overall? Chaldean, for me, I'm going to put a line through this run. I think they supplemented him for this race. I think I would have gone up in trip. Mm. I believe his running style is, is not playing to his strengths. He just looks under the pump from from some way out and, and always on the back foot yesterday. It's like, I just think he's crying out for a step up and trip and, and they need to to just switch him off enough where he has a turn of foot to put the race to bed like he did in the Guineas. Now, the, the Guineas, by all means, like you have to be high quality to win the Guineas and I don't think Chaldean is going to be a flop going forward. He went from the Guineas to Royal Ascot to now the race yesterday. He's he's had, you know, three three big races and 
oh, I can't tell Andrew Balding what to do as he knows more about horse racing than, than I would. I think in the back of his head, he probably should have gone up in trip and just rode the horse where he was in more of his comfort zone. I, I just felt like he was never comfortable yesterday. And he left himself with no petrol in the tank again towards the finish. And, and it's different when you're running on a, a straight seven furlongs to when he went around the bend at Royal Ascot. Because I guess Frankie could, I know a lot of people say he was he was under pressure a long way out, but Frankie could still get somewhat of a breather in him around the bend at, at Ascot. Hence why he didn't fall out the back of the telly that day. He is a high class horse and I just feel we're going to see him at, in, in, in a better light when he goes up and trip. I completely agree, and I think they probably couldn't believe how weak that race was on paper, and that's yeah. why they've supplemented him. Because how do you win the Sussex? How do you beat Paddington? You know he's going to be there. Uh, if that's going to be your next race, it's going to be a second defeat in a row, and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really hit very well. Like this, this horse had been so progressive, um, bit inexperienced, bit green on debut, but then after that, never looked back. Uh, mm-hmm. Was terrific at the York Ebor Festival. Was was really really good in that um, the Champagne Six. Wasn't that race rearranged because of the death of the Queen? Wasn't that run on the Sunday? Yeah, I believe so. I yeah, it was. I think it was. I think I remember covering that. Um, so you know, he's had a. Like he would have been prepped for a race to be run on a certain day, and then that race ends up being moved a day, and that can affect horses at, at times. Um, he's gone and won the Dewhurst, like the, arguably the biggest two-year-old prize of, of all, along with the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes and the Futurity. Which of those three is the best? The Dewhurst would be very, very high on that list. Um, everything's gone wrong on on his season reappearance uh, when Frankie's done the flying dismount at the wrong time, and and then he's incredibly well-backed. I remember seeing him drift in the morning of the Guineas. I think he was 6-1 to one out to 8. And then before the off, there was a sea of money for August Roden and there was a sea of money for Caldine. 8-1, to 6-1, 5-1, 4-1, he ends up going off and wins. And uh, yeah, that form is very questionable now. Really questionable. But that was a good performance that day. And at the time, Caldine was the new potential superstar. If he won the St. James's Palace Stakes, that would consolidate his position as the leading three-year-old miler. Then you've got him going to the Sussex Stakes, uh, where he'll be getting the weight for age allowance. And, you know, that's not a really strong older division, so that would have been a very winnable race for him on paper. And along emerges Paddington. You know, from nowhere, Paddington, Aidan O'Brien just dusts off another superstar, and and suddenly you're you're playing a different game. Uh, and you're trying to work out what do you do, and, and he probably was of a mind: do we go up in distance? Do we go to ten furlongs? Um, and I, I imagine they just looked at this and thought that's a weak race, and he has the class that he'll get away with it, and he just hasn't fired for whatever reason. He hasn't performed on the day. Um, I I would be very forgiving of that. Uh, I would. Yeah, he's not a flop, is he? He's not a flop at all. No, and uh, he's not this. He's currently not the superstar that he potentially could have been he looked like a a really top class recruit to the three-year-old division uh in the back of his juvenile campaign he looked like a star but you can't just erase those performances 
Like that was a really strong performance in the guineas that was questionable because of the ground, but it was a really strong performance as a two-year-old in the in the Dewhurst. Those don't go away now. They're still there. Yeah. And you can still build on that. I think they just Andrew Balding will forget more about racing than I will ever know. They probably just picked the wrong target. And uh, I, I would be very forgiving of him. I don't know what you do now, though. You know, what is the... It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've gone... You've essentially gone from him being a single-figure price for the Judmont and working towards that race, like the, the kind of... The throwaway line, I think, from Andrew Balding when Nick Luck was asking him on Look on Sunday after he'd won the Guineas, like, what's the plan? I'm pretty sure Andrew said, well, the sponsors, the owners sponsor a race at York. Um, and that's like you were building up a trajectory to get there, whereby he wins the St. James's Palace Stakes, wins the Sussex. Suddenly, you're talking superstar status, and it's this really exciting bide thing. Will he stay the ten furlongs? Now it's like you kind of have to go up and trip to win with him. Um, but in a way, that takes pressure off them. Like, the, yeah. in one way, there's an immense amount of pressure on them because all eyes are going to be on them for where he goes next and what he does. And if it's not a win. People are going to start going, oh, well, he is a, maybe he's not as good as we thought. Um, but if you get him back to the horse that was so good in the Dewhurst and the horse who was so good in the Guineas, then that 25 to 1 about the Judmont might look a little bit too big. Yeah, I, I just worry after running yesterday, is everything now going to creep up too soon for, for, for this horse? I, no. I just felt at Ascot, he had a very, very hard race and Okay, he finished a solid second, but he, you know, he was probably running on fumes in the last furlong, and then they go and run him over seven furlongs, where they're asking him to basically gallop a stride faster for the first three quarters of the race than he probably ever has done. You know, and it's like you're again under the pressure and on the back foot and squeezing and squeezing, and I just don't think he's been comfortable in his last two starts and. I probably would have gone from Ascot, give him time after a hard a hard race and gone to the Judmont. But then hindsight's a wonderful thing. It, it did look a great opportunity on paper and I, I can see where the boarding team were coming from in um, supplementing him for this race. Yeah, it's things like this. Like You look like a genius if you get it right and it just you've potentially yeah. tanked a horse a season if you get it wrong. Um, mm -hmm. I, I would keep the faith in him and uh, I would... I'd actually take a really strong interest in him going forward in terms of, like, he's going to be underestimated by the market now. And he has not yeah. suddenly just become a bad racehorse, but you'd want to see what they're going to do. And I'd be with you. Um, I don't know if you can just go to 10 after running over 7, but maybe that's what they're going to have to do. Um, we'll see. Maybe a drop in grade. Yeah. Drop him down to a group 2, possibly. Oh. That's that's probably not what they're going to do, and that's that's probably my... Cowardly mindset. Well, don't forget going. to message me when you say you're lumping on at 25 to 1 for the Judmont. <laughs> now that you're no you longer now? now that you're no longer a jockey, you can actually engage in these bets. Did it, I, I, I won't have told you, but you might have heard me talking about it on the on the final forum before. Uh, Lizzie Kelly sent me a WhatsApp one day saying, "How do I access the racing markets on insert bookmaker's name app?" And I remember looking at it, going, "Wait, what?" And she was essentially telling me, asking me, how do I get the anti-post markets on a specific bookmaker's app? And and so I had to talk her through it. And it was, in one way, it was hilarious because it's like, it's pretty simple to get that. But in another way, it's like, 
that's great because Lizzie spent her career as a jockey and obviously wasn't allowed to bet. And now that she can, that's either a really elaborate way of saying, oh, I don't know anything about betting uh, or it's just like Lizzie being Lizzie. And I thought that was that was class. So, yeah, don't worry. If we you are- should have just said, give me names. <laughs> Damn it! Give Why me didn't names I do that? before I explain myself because you know something that I don't. Uh, it was Paddington, actually, because um, we both talked about <laughs> Paddington on air. And uh, then she messaged me like a couple of days after that going, you like Paddington, don't you? I was like, yeah, I, said, I, I think this horse is going to win. He was green as grass at the Curra and he will, he will win the St. James's Palace Stakes. And here we are. Um, meditate very briefly. I, I had such high hopes for this filly at the start of the season um, and was very keen on her for the 1,000 guineas. I think I was finding excuses to back her at Royal Ascot as well against Tahira when to hear, well, not so much finding excuses, just to hear being an odds-on favourite for a Group 1 isn't really my cup of tea. Um, yeah. I I even thought on the day, maybe that race hasn't transpired in the way Ryan Moore would have wanted. Maybe being out in front actually wasn't to his benefit. Uh, this was quite disappointing. It, it wouldn't have been her ground, but still, it's... She just seems regressive now. Yeah, I mean, she's a Breeders' Cup winner, Emma. Like... At the end of the day, something must have been amiss yesterday because she, whether she was at a, you know, whether she wasn't at her best, she still shouldn't have put in a performance like that in in many people's eyes. You know, she she's been a very high class mare for a long time now, and and very consistent. And I just think something must have must have been amiss yesterday because that wasn't her, was it? No, it it can't be, but. We're not really... We've seen it from her once this season. Uh, I know she had a setback going into Newmarket and the ground was awful. Um, I think Aidan was saying on the podcast that they only really started to get her right coming to the Royal Meeting, which is why that's disappointing then that she didn't quite perform in the manner that I was expecting her to. Um, I'm also wondering, where is Hans Anderson? Because the, the jersey has come and gone, which I thought was the ideal race for him, um, and now this race, like over seven furlongs, Group One, like that would have been ideal for him as well. But we haven't seen him since the French Guineas, no. and, and he's not entered for the Sussex Stakes. Something's going to miss, isn't it? Yeah, that would concern me. Um, all right, let's yeah. let's look at the Coral Charge. Uh, quality wins for Charlie Hills. William Buick in the winners' enclosure again. Uh, what did you make of this race? Yes, solid performance. A horse by Equiano has a lot of speed and. He's been a high-class performer, I guess you, you could say, in in handicaps. And I think it was thoroughly deserved from him. He just looks like he has a very high cruising speed, doesn't he? And when he gets his own way like that on the front end, he just probably plays into his strengths and can, can dictate and feel comfortable in, in himself more so than, than when he's coming from slightly middle of the pack. But... Yeah, deserved deserved winner beat Tiber Flow, who was a nice winner at Newcastle not so long ago, and and I felt like he beat the right horses on the day. Uh, last time you won this race was with Batash, who would go on to win yeah. uh, Glorious Goodwood, and that's going to be the plan with this fella as well. Um, how high up the pecking order do you think he can go? Oh, I feel like I've seen more from other horses. Mm. But nonetheless, that was a very good performance at Sandown. I don't, I don't want to knock the horse. Do I think he's capable of, of winning a race like that? Mm, I'd be unsure. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. 
but I've just seen a, a bit more quality from from other horses that will potentially take him on in that race. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think that whole division is meh uh, a little bit. And we're going to have the July Cup on Saturday. Yeah, We might not have Little Big Bear. Aidan O'Brien reporting today that he's had a, a setback and he's only 50-50 to make the race. That would be a real shame. Because I thought the July Cup in particular would really suit him. But uh, let's see how that builds yeah. going forward, shall we? Um, Poptronic managed to reverse form with Sea Silk Road in the Bet365 Lancashire Oaks. Ooh, if you were on William Haggis's filly, you were probably counting your money and somehow Poptronic manages to fight back Giants Causeway style and, and go and win the race. Um, what did you make of this one? Yeah, once again, Haydock's a track where being on the front end or, or close to it definitely suits. I feel like Sea Silk Road could have done with a stronger pace to aim at, don't you? I feel like yeah. it all got a bit tricky, didn't it? And yeah, probably the best horse didn't win that race. I completely agree with you. Um, another day, uh, things yeah. turn around, but it's unfortunately, the, the bookies don't pay you for that, I'm afraid. Um, it's been a terrific season so far for Joe Fanning. He's 78 years of age, but he's still banging in the winners. Uh, what, is he, <laughs> what, what, is, what, is he, what is he like, by the way? Uh, because he just seemed to have... like When you're looking at him in the saddle, you never think that's a 52-year-old man. Like he just—he still yeah. looks like a young man. When you, you're seeing the grizzled face, like, and I can talk. I've got a face for radio. But like then, then you realize that this this guy's been around the block. But he is a terrific jockey, and, and he just does seem to be quite young at heart in in the finish and, and what he's doing. But what's he like to be around in the in the weighing room? Joe is an absolute gentleman of a fellow. Like anyone could approach Joe, like. He would help an old man with his dog out walking down the street. He is just the nicest guy ever. I mean, the wealth of experience that man has riding for, for Mark and Charlie Johnson for so long. I, I just think Joe is the definition of a wily old fox, isn't he? Mm, that's a good way of saying it. Um, that is Joe. 52 wins for the year so far uh, since January. And it's not that long ago, it was only... Two weeks ago, he was top of the Jockeys' Championship. Buick has got rolling now, but he'll he'll give him a bit of a fight. Um, this was a, a really good win on Wooden Son for Richard Fahey. Beats Andrew Balding Scampy uh, with David Probert on board. Uh, what did you make of the overall performance? Yeah, great performance. Once again, Joe's tactics were second to none. He beat the right horse in Scampy, I think. Obviously, we can excuse Scampy since York. He, he returned back to form on the weekend. I mean, Scampy briefly had to to wait for a run, didn't he, on on the inside? But I don't think it really affected the the winning results. I did really like Charlie Fellow's horse. I think he's going to be a very good handicapper to be on the right side of going forward. He beat me at Haydock, I believe, previous to to this run um, on Saturday, and he just looks like a. a yeah, and I, I feel like Joe Fanning's horse beat the right two in, in Scampion and Charlie Fellows' horse. I always find it hard to pronounce that horse's name. Can you help me, Emma? Uh, you want me to be the one to pronounce yeah, that, that horse's name correctly? Culolumbus? <laughs> um, Q- yeah, that'll do. That'll do. I was going to say Culolumbus. Culolumbus? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, that'll that'll do. I mean, it does sound like a name that 
Regan Fox would be using in a video or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. Um, yeah, not, nice horse of Charlie Fellows. Set a lovely steady pace in front like he did when he beat me. I think he's just got a nice running style. I mean, he can be vulnerable, I guess, when you're running in them big handicaps, you can get something take you on and probably make you do too much. But he seems a lovely relaxed horse with a good cruising speed and, and picks up well for pressure. But overall, a good handicap and, and the first three horses were entitled to be there. Yeah, I think that sums that race up uh, pretty well. Uh, a race that you and I were both covering on Racing Live on TalkSport 2, which you can hear. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from 1 p.m. on TalkSport 2 was Power Mode, who made a winning debut at Yarmouth. I really liked this performance. Uh, Alice Haynes' yard is absolutely flying. He was a $75,000 purchase uh, as a yearling, and he just looked very professional on debut. Um, And it was full of running at the line. I think it wasn't the easiest of things for Kieran O'Neill to pull him up, which is always a, a good sign. And uh, Alice Hines is now talking about running him in a group two. I believe that's going to be the Bahrain Turf Club July Stakes, uh, which he does hold an entry for. But this was a... There's a lot of horses in behind who were all at sea. Uh, It was a half a million euro purchase that that just never really got going at all on the day for Andrew Balding. But um, it was hard not to be taken with the manner of this horse's success, particularly beating a, a horse who was well backed for the trainer who had won the race the year before, William Jarvis and Glanford, who'd had uh, experience of two runs, and he, he ended up running him down and beating him quite impressively. Yeah, he followed Glanford into the race. I feel Glanford done the right thing that day in, in making the running. He, he had the most experience in the field. Power mode, very professional, and I like the way he really got his head down and stretched in that last half furlong. Like he, he was pulling away and like you say, Kieran struggled to pull him up. It was a, a nice sensible ride by Kieran. Alice Haynes is no stranger to getting these two years to win first time out. Obviously, previously being at the Breeze Ups, he was entitled to be professional to somewhat of an extent where we should have expected him to do this if he had somewhat of ability. Some would say, what has he beat as, as the... The big ones in the betting didn't really turn up as they were very green and, and all at sea, like you say, Emma. But he could only beat what was in front of him. And the last furlong was was very taken on the eye to watch. He hit the line strong. Always good to see them gallop out. And he's entitled to now take um, a step up in grade. Yeah, very much so. Uh, the Richmond, the group two at Glorious Goodwood is another option for the horse as well. But uh, wherever it is, they decide to go keep a close eye on that horse. Very, very intrigued. For sure. Yeah, I think I think that horse is going to go well. Um, I had a feeling last year that Ryan Moore was going to go for the Irish Jockeys Championship, and it didn't quite happen. I have a feeling that he's going to go for it again this year, and that's backed up by the fact that he turned up at Ross Common to ride espionage. <laughs> and you know, all due respect to Ross Common, um, nice track, but that's not where Ryan Moore would tend to go. And it was his first ever ride there and a win. Um, and look, that's a espionage might end up being a group one winner later this season who knows maybe another superstar for Aiden but that's a, a horse that could have been ridden by uh Shamie Heffernan for example or you know Wayne's obviously we we wish Wayne the very best to look with his recovery um but it is interesting that he is taking those rides and it is interesting that he's on 32 wins for the season in Ireland and top of the Jockeys Championship however He's not top of the Jockeys' Championship on his own anymore because Gary Carroll has come along to join him uh, after a win on Bayern, Bayern, Bayern. Um, what did you make of the performance uh, of that horse, but also uh, Gary Carroll's rise to the be joint top of the Irish Jockeys' Championship? 
Yeah, I thought it was a good performance from from Gary Cowell's horse. I mean, he kept it very simple, didn't he? And it, and it looked like, I guess, a, it was just a, a case of ability getting him home in front that day. Gary Carroll, I mean, he's absolutely going great guns, isn't he? At the minute, he's. I mean, it's it's always good, isn't it, when you see two two jockeys going hammer and tongs in any championship. I mean, Gary Carroll in the last fourteen days has had seven wins from thirty eight rides and, and currently riding at an eighteen percent strike rate. So everything's there. He's in in a real purple patch, and it, I'm not saying it will give Ryan something to sweat about. I'm sure if if Ryan really does want to push for this. I mean, this, who's to say that he he can't not make that work? I'm sure he will. And yeah, it just adds a bit more excitement to it. And I'm sure Gary Carroll will give it everything he's got in order to try and try and win win a championship. But nonetheless, Ryan has the quality over over anyone in Ireland, and I'm sure he has a, a sneaky suspicion that he will be going for this all guns blazing. Yeah, Shane Foley hasn't really gotten into the rhythm that he has in the past. Um, and Colin Keane, uh, his main supplier, has just struggled to perform so far this year, Jar Lines, although it does appear as though Jar is now turning the corner. Um, Billy Lee went close last year as well. Like He'll have a, a, a lot of support, but it's going to be difficult for him because he's relying on outside rides. He's relying on, um, on, on being an independent jockey, uh, and when you're freelance, there are benefits to that, but Ryan has the Coolmore Battalion behind him, and... Um, He's also, if he's available and willing to ride in these races, which it appears as though he very much is, everybody's going to want to use him. Joseph, Donica, um, not just through Coolmore Connections, but for others, everybody will want to use Ryan Moore as much as they possibly can. So keep an eye on it. I, I think he is going to go all out. Not necessarily all out, because he's obviously going to have international commitments. He's going to have to ride in Britain for, for Coolmore. He's going to have American rides to take for, for Aiden as well. But it's it's notable that he's turning up at Roscommon and different places, and I think he's going to go for it. Um, he obviously couldn't ride Henry Adams for Aidan O'Brien yeah. because he was you know, had the far more important job of riding Paddington in the Sussex Stakes. Uh, Sussex Stakes in the Eclipse. Uh, the Sussex Stakes will come in the future. Um, this horse didn't have any big race entries beforehand, and he was a little bit uneasy in the betting. Uh, I think that can be overblown. A lot of the time you will see Aidan O'Brien horses get very well backed and be beaten, and you will see Aidan O'Brien horses drift in the market and go and win. It's just the way they, they go. Um, this looked like a pretty nice performance, though, from this fella uh, on his debut. It is a race that was won by August Rodan, which has been mentioned a few times now by different people. It's also a race that was won by Year of the Tiger two years ago, and that horse didn't exactly go on to anything great. So who knows where he's going to rank in the pecking order. Um, I like the young fellow on board, Killian Hennessy, and I am pro-pro-cush, but that made for uncomfortable viewing. I don't know what he was doing yeah. getting so stuck into a racehorse making his debut. That's not a handicapper who's a bit of a, a lazy old sod who needs to be encouraged into it. This is a, a no-nay-never Colt making his debut and you're giving it 11 cracks of the whip in the final two furlongs? I can't imagine Aidan O'Brien was thrilled with that and he has ended up getting a four-day ban for excessive whip use. They'd string him up if it was in the UK. He'd oh never, my God. He'd never be allowed to ride a racehorse again in Britain. 
Um, be, be hanging from a tree, Dick Turpin style. But anyway, he's um, he's managed to only get a four day ban in Ireland. Uh, look, there's, there's no excuse for that. No, especially like you say on a, on a first time out, Colt, obviously well bred, part of the Cornwall team. It's just not nice to see. And my eye was drawn to it from a long way out. I could see. I, I don't want to rub it up the wrong way, but. It looked like there was a bit of aggression and and a bit of I don't maybe like nervousness that I don't know I, I don't know what I'm trying to say but it looked like the taps with the pro cush were kind of meaningful and he got a bit carried away I, I I don't like seeing that there was there was no real education for the horse in in it's. <sighs> You know what I'm saying, Emma. It's hard for me to kind of explain too much. I don't want to criticise anyone, especially for someone like Killian, who's not really had many rides, only four rides this year and two winners. So it, it's it's a difficult position he's in, and obviously riding in them silks for Aidan O'Brien. Sometimes, I guess, you can see the finish line and hear the crowd and nothing else really matters, which I think is what we saw there. But I'm sure he'll be watching that back, maybe potentially with Aidan and, and just kind of explaining to him that a first time out performance did not need uh, that much use of the whip. Yeah, he's ridden for Aiden a, a number of times, but with Wayne on the sidelines, I don't know if the Shamie Heffernan ban had kicked in at this point. I don't know if that's emerged and maybe it, maybe it had, but irrespective of, he's probably in that moment, you're wearing the Coolmore silks, yeah. you're riding a horse on a Saturday, uh, it's on racing TV. You're hitting the front. The horse is traveling quite well, and suddenly there's a Michael O'Gallaghan horse bearing down on you, and yeah. and it's Colin Keane on a favorite, an odds-on favorite yeah. coming flying at you. Maybe you're just thinking, "Oh crap, I'm going to get done here, and I'm going to look like an idiot." Um, and so you get a little bit exuberant with it. You can't do that though. It's, it's like I, I'm pro pro Kush. I looked at that and went, "Oh, kid, that's not that's not good." Uh, and it's very easy from the sidelines. It's very easy to sit here in front of this microphone and condemn a young fella for getting carried away. But I didn't think the horse liked it either. And again, the pro cush does not cause pain to racehorses. There is no peer-reviewed study that says no. the pro cush causes pain to racehorses. But he, the way he reacted to it, like he moved into the left, he moved in towards the rail when he hit him with the Prokush the first time around. And he just, it seemed to me as though Henry Adams was almost going, I'm I'm trying, what the hell do you want from me? <laughs> uh, that's what it, it looked like. It looked like the horse yeah, was doing yeah. everything he should be doing to go and win the race while being a little bit green and absolutely use the Prokush to encourage him to go forward and to keep him on a straight line. But conversely, he didn't stay in a straight line. He actually went into the rail on the back of being hit by the whip. And he just, it, he looked to me like a horse was going, wait, what, what, do you, what is it you want me to do? Um, yeah. Now, maybe he wouldn't have won without that. And even that in itself is a moral dilemma because, well, then you've you've excessively used the whip, which means you've cheated to win. So that's another aspect that can be that he can be critiqued on and that punters might feel hard done by if you've backed the Michael O'Callaghan horse, whose name I'm not going to try, try to pronounce because I'm only going to make a fool of myself if I do. Uh, if you've gotten stuck into that odds-on shot, for Michael Callahan, maybe you're feeling a little bit aggrieved that oh, well, the only he's ended up getting a ban for four days, but we've lost out because the horse was hit with the shillelagh a few times. It's just it's not a good look and it's not a good idea. I don't think that's what Aidan O'Brien wants 
In fact, I'm absolutely certain it's not what Aidan O'Brien wants his jockeys to yeah. do. And Aidan has talked in the past, including on this show, about how it's not great when a two-year-old gets beaten first time out. You want them to win, but it can actually be an advantage because you're not being thrown in. Like, if you win a maiden in Ireland, you don't really have much of a choice. You're now having to go into listed company or group company. And maybe yeah. that horse doesn't quite have that experience yet and isn't ready for that. Um, so there can be a benefit to getting beaten first time out. That's probably helps Paddington greatly, uh, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm interested to see what this horse does going forward, especially when he doesn't have any of the fancy entries that you would associate with a Coolmore horse. But uh, we'll we'll see. It just it just it, it, it wasn't a good look. It was erratic, wasn't it? It was erratic. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Let's let's not. It is. Yeah. It is odd that he would be. What ban would he get in under British rules? Would he be gone for a month? Yeah, well, yeah. It'd be twenty-eight days. More than that, it would be more than that, wouldn't it? Yeah. So he'd be. Well, what, what, yeah, it was a maiden. So what? He was ten or eleven. Eleven. Yeah. So I, I'd done eleven last year before the new whip rules were in place, and I got a twelve-day ban. And so now the new whip rules are in place. It's what double? So twenty, really twenty-one. Yeah, he'd be more? out. He'd be out for nearly a month. Um, yeah. By the way, you're lucky you did that when the new whip rules didn't come into effect or you would have been excommunicated from the sport. Jesus Christ, the way this thing is going is absolutely crazy. But um, yeah, yeah it, it's mad that like that kid, Killian Hennessy, should get a four-day ban, but that's the extent of it. Like that four days is going to hurt him. Um, it's it's going to it's going to take the shine off that win as well. The notion that you would get a 28-day ban for that kind of behavior... That's just oh. madness. It's just mad. And you look madness. at the two different jurisdictions and how they're policing it. And really in Ireland, they're they're starting to go after and they're, they're working on the, the rules of it now, uh, interference rules. That's what yeah. IHRB are more inclined to go after. And I applaud them on that. I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. If, if the interference rules as they are playing out in the UK continue, someone's going to die or someone's going to get horrifically injured. And that's mm. when the BHA will go, oh, oh, oh well, now, now we'll take action. And this has been said, I, I've said this on the show years ago. Kevin Blake said it on this show and has said it subsequently uh, for years. Chris Cook was on the show saying it. Uh, watch Nick Look. Uh, he's made a big thing about, about it as well. There are so many people in media who can see what's going to happen under interference rules. And yet for some reason, it's like the... British authorities are like, yeah, but we're not really that fussed about that. What we're concerned about is how many times somebody uses a whip in a finish. That's the real, yeah. that's the real crime against racing. That's the thing we've got to clear up. It's not the optics of the Riddler murdering Crispy Cat at Ascot and then keeping that race at, at the Royal meeting and, and the connections losing the appeal uh, to try and, and get that, something done about that as well. Like that's not... You know, that's not actively encouraging the right kind of behavior. And I, I really thought it was odd. I actually was offended that day when, um, who was on board the Riddler for Richard Fahey that day? Uh, Paul Hannigan. Paul Hannigan. They just split. And so that was like yeah. the last ride. Paul Hannigan had the nerve to say, I didn't cause any interference. I don't know what you're talking about. On the way back in. Like, yeah. it's on the, it's like the Animal Rising boys. 
when the clown goes onto the track. Oh, look, they knew. It's like, you literally went onto the track and it's on the parade. It's on the big screen. We can see it all. As he's walking back in, there's replays of the interference that he caused. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. It didn't cause any interference. It's all grand. Like, that's, it's just crazy. Um, they've got to do something about that. And, and just from your perspective as, as a jockey, because I'm fascinated by this. Um, we didn't know that Jamie Spencer was going to appeal his ban for the pretty poly ride, but also that Huey Morrison was going to appeal uh, as the runner-up with Stay Alert. Now, I said on the show last week that I thought Huey Morrison should appeal that, um, but that it would probably come to no avail, but that they should fight it anyway. I did not expect yeah. Jamie Spencer to come out and say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I should, I should get those days back. Um, it, it's a really... It's a tiramisu. It's multi-layered. It's incredibly complex. But as a jockey, uh, what is your view on interference rules and what can be done to make it better for the protection of jockeys, the protection of equine welfare, but also to make it fairer for punters who are betting on those races? It's it's very difficult from a jockey's point of view. You, you always have to take into consideration from our side, it's very much you're trying to steer a half a ton animal in a direction you want it to go when necessarily. Interference can be caused sometimes from a horse leaning, whether it's tired or it's feeling something in its leg or <clears throat> something that's caught its eye. There's always a, a reason behind a horse really interfering. I mean, I'm not blaming it all on the horse. Obviously, the jockey steers it, but I don't believe any jockey intentionally goes out there and goes, oh, right, well, I'm going by you and I'm just going to go right hand down and chop your nose off. I don't think it works like that. There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of talking and, and shouting in, in races at times and you're normally 99% aware of who's around you or if you can't see someone, you'll hear someone. So I always feel we do what we can to not cause interference it's one of them things where if you do get a, a sniff of blood and, and you are coming up to the winning post and you think you're going to win, maybe, I don't want to say it all goes out the window because it doesn't, but you can, I don't want to say it in the wrong way, Emma, where we don't intentionally do anything, but sometimes if you don't think necessarily it's going to cause a bad interference, some jockeys may just let one slide either way, I guess, if they feel that that's what's right for them to win the race. I don't want to get into this subject because I don't want people shouting at me saying, oh, I've opened up a can of worms. But Well, let, let rules... me ask you this then. If, if you were riding in a, a major listed contest, a very valuable handicap at the Royal Meeting, or you're in a Group 1 contest, and you're coming into the final two furlongs and you have a chance of winning, uh, is your mindset, I have to obey the whip rules, but also, is your mindset just, I want to win this, and I'm going to do everything that I can to win? Like, Are you even thinking about that moment, or are you just focused on the ride and making your decisions? And in that, like, is it a win-at-all-costs mentality? Does, the, does, the, does the, the blood rush to your head, the adrenaline is pumping... Is there even time to really think that 
oh no, I'm causing interference by doing this. Like, is, is that even something that comes into your mind or are you just focused on the basics and trying your best to win? I, I feel like the, the basics come into play a lot more so. I don't feel you can predict interference. Like, You can't go out and before a race say, this is how it's going to go. He's going to pull out and you, you know we're going to cause interference. But you can control your use of whip, which I feel like everyone is doing so or trying their best to do so in, in the best way possible. And it's teaching them to be better riders. I, I agree with that. Interference is something that is sprung on you in a split second decision. And when you are, or when you get the feeling of, of you're going to win or feel like you're going to win, it's that, that, that instinct to then go, Oh my God, hang on a minute. I've now got to change my thought process. I'm now going to wipe out so-and-so it, it, you can't, you can't, act as quick as you think on this situation what and this is why i think interference is sometimes made a lot worse or made to look a lot worse because the human reaction is is not as quick as as, as doing it or thinking in in them split decision moments and it can be made to look worse because of them reasons you've got to remember if you're in a drive and finish you've then got to pull either left or right stand up in the saddle to get more leverage of your horse in order to guide it what way you want to go potentially put your stick down it's like there's a lot to think about when currently you're going forward and thinking of winning a race is it is there a a thought process that if somebody causes you interference now just stop riding and make it look even worse than it was and then go in and say, well, stewards, that horse came across me, I couldn't stay on a straight line, and then he has interfered with me, and he has knocked all momentum out of the horse, and there is no point in me going after the horse because we're literally only 100 yards away from the line. I cannot obtain, I cannot improve my finishing position because he's wiped me out and make it look worse than it actually was. Is, is there a potential mind game there that either that's the right way to approach it or that you can manipulate or game the system in that way? I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but when, when you're in the heat of the moment it's and the, and the adrenaline's high, it's, it's very hard to change your thought process from wanting to win to then mm. thinking, oh, hang on, I'm basically going to dive like a footballer does and try and get a penalty. It's like, <laughs> you know, you can't see things happening like I guess a footballer could, you, you know, it's it's not just you out there on the pitch. It's it's you on top of a half a ton animal that also wants to win. Yeah, and it's very hard to change that mindset in the heat of the moment. So I I, I wouldn't say that is something that jockeys go into races thinking they're going to do, or or if that I, happened, that's a way for them to. You can say it. You can just say it. No, Emmett, that's absolute bollocks. There's no there's no way jockeys. <laughs> Jockeys see I'm interference and go. Myself. There's no way jockeys see interference coming and go. Oh, goody gumdrops! I can just now like let down the reins and go. Well, well, stewards. If it wasn't for that pesky jockey, I'd have won. So throw him out. Um, but I, it just it popped into my head and I felt it was the the right thing to ask. Yeah. You. No, no, I I agree, and and that is something that I would be curious to ask because like we see in in a lot of sport that things like that do happen, don't they? Well, the striker analogy is a really good one because why does a striker who's bearing down on goal and has a chance of scoring and gets tackled and is not touched but dives, why not just take the shot? Like, why yeah. why do that? And I think that maybe goes to the 
morals of those footballers or how they're trained, whereas jockeys are trained to win. You're trained yeah. to obtain the best possible finishing position. You're trained, so it's a different mindset, um, and that's an that's an important thing. See, it really was absolute nonsense that question, but we yeah. got there in the end, though. Speaking of jockeys and controversy and all kinds of different trouble, uh, Dylan Kitts. Uh, just full disclosure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that I would like to say about this. Um, Ofcom guidelines dictate that we are not allowed to say certain things. It's an ongoing investigation, but look, you've seen it with your own two eyes. You've heard it with your own two ears. You know what's going on. Um, But for those who maybe are not as familiar or need a refresher course, Jockey Dylan Kitts banned from riding and crucially also attending race courses while the British Horse Racing Authority investigates his controversial ride on Hilson last Wednesday at Worcester. The horse himself was banned for racing for 40 days. Hilson, owned by Alan Clegg and trained at the time by Chris Honor, was well-backed in the market the night before and morning of the race, but then drifted out considerably from 15 to 8 to 2 to 1, all the way out to 11 to 1 on course. Uh, I think he opened around about 7 to 1. Kitts seemed to make little effort to encourage Hilson to finish third. The stewards referred the ride to the BHA, resulting in the ban for both Kitts and Hilson. Uh, Honor has reported uh, to receiving debt threats on social media since that and has asked for a Clegg to remove all of his horses from the yard. Uh, Hilson is now in the care of trainer Brian Barr. Kitts had previously received a 14-day ban for a non-trier ride at Warwick in May. So less than two months ago, He was given a 14-day ban for a similar offence. In light of the ongoing investigation, Kitts will not participate in any rides or attend racecourses. Honor clarified that while he wanted Brian Carver as a jockey, uh, but Clegg insisted on Kitts. Now, this is important because there were two races that Hilson could have run in. In one of those races, Chris Honor was saying he wanted uh, Brian Carver to ride. Brian Carver would not have been eligible to ride him in the race that he ended up running in. Um, but it is intriguing that he told Nick Look on the Nick Look Daily that it was a different jockey he wanted. Um, Honor expressed sympathy for Kitts, stating that he had followed instructions but had done so to an extreme manner and was insufficient. Uh, he empathized that it goes. He emphasized that it goes against his training ethos to intentionally hinder a horse's performance. This whole thing's a mess. Um, it looks really bad. Look, as a former jockey, I think you're probably insulted to your core to see this kind of thing going on. Um, at the same time, I'm not going to patronize the audience of the Final Forum podcast. Uh, this kind of thing goes on. And it, it happens in Britain, it happens in Ireland, and if you're watching racing on a regular basis, you know you're seeing horses that are not being given maximum effort. And uh, that's where there's a double standard. right? That's where the whole... The, the thing about this is that it's just so flagrant, but we have to see what's going to come out of the investigation. We have to see what the BHA are going to come up with. Um, the thing about Ronan McNally was he was quite flagrant. Like horses being backed from 66 to 1 down to 2 to 1. Come on, man. Come on. What, what are you doing? Um, but again, the proof of that, like all of the hardcore evidence that the IHRB say they have, that wasn't actually published. And there's a lot of evidence against the people who were collaborating and conspiring with McNally, but not actually against McNally himself. So I 
like for that case, I support the ban on Ronald McNally. I think you have to do something about that. You have to knock that kind of stuff out of the sport. But the idea that you're going to ban that man for 12 years, he cannot set foot on a British or Irish race course. That ban's already been enforced by the BHA, by the way. They didn't wait at all. They just went, gone. He can never go onto a race course while his son is a jockey. What if his son becomes a really top-class jockey? He can't be there to experience big race wins. That just seems cruel. And particularly when this stuff does go on, not to the elaborate extent it did with Magnelli, two-year ban, I think, would have been sufficient there and, and would have really changed the, the game. Um, but this incident, separate, different, but a bad look. It's a bad look for the sport, and it's a bad look for him that two months ago, He's done for a non-trier. And then this horse drifts like a proverbial barge and he rides it in that style. It doesn't look good, Louis. Yeah, nothing really adds up to me in, in the, the statements and the facts that I've heard from all parties. Whatever way you look at it, you can say he said, she said, but one of the three have to be involved in some way. I, I don't believe what's been said, whether it be instructions or which jockey they wanted to use, etc., or the jockey saying that he had a wind problem. If he did do that and he thought it was going to hinder his horse's chances, then he should have pulled the horse up. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, but if, if horse welfare was on his mind in, in that part of the race, he should have been fully focused on, on that reason, not, not anything else. And, there's just a lot of red flags going into this this discussion. I think the BHA are handling it, handling it, sorry, in in the right way, in in doing what they've done to Dylan Kitts so far, and it's a, it's a real good opportunity for the BHA to to put their foot on the ground firmly and and set an example because we should not be witnessing things like this in our sport, especially to the extent that it was. It's it's just flagrant. It's it's yeah. so obvious. And again, allegedly, we have to see an investigation ongoing. But I don't ever remember a jockey being stood down while an investigation is ongoing. And there's the potential that this is being done for the benefit of Dylan Kitt's mental health. Because this, this really angered people. Like, this really annoyed racing fans. And rightly so. Uh, like this goes against the very integrity of the sport. You're with me on TalkSport 2 now. And and whether you're on with Lee or you're on with me, uh, what are we doing? We're talking about how great this sport is and when it's a live race and it's five live races per show, we are, we're doing hours of research and form study and then we're making a case for a racehorse uh, and, and encouraging listeners to bet on that. We're doing the exact same thing on this show. We're encouraging people to you know, gamble responsibly and all that malarkey, but we're encouraging people to bet on this wonderful sport. And then this kind of stuff is going on. Like, that's not okay. The welfare, paramount, integrity, paramount. And if you don't have integrity in racing, then you don't have a sport. The whole thing collapses. Nobody is going to bet on this sport if they think, well, how can I possibly win? if wrongdoing is going on. And what about the legitimate instances where a jockey does hear a noise? And maybe Dylan Kitts did hear a noise, but again, why didn't he pull the horse up if that's the case? Like, that's a wonderful point to make, Louis. 
Um, and this, and I, I would imagine that's something the BHA will be asking him during this investigation. Well, if you're so concerned about the noise the horse was making, why didn't you pull him up, son? Um, but ultimately, if if people are looking at a jockey in a finish and the jockey is weak in a finish, but there's a specific reason why he or she has not given that horse everything. Maybe they did feel something up with the horse. Or, or maybe there was a circumstance that prevented them from trying their best. Maybe the race just didn't pan out in their favor and it's not their fault at all, but they've tried absolutely everything. That same jockey will get tarred with this brush. And you see that abuse on social media, left, right, and center. Jockey's getting torn a new one just because of the crime of somebody losing money on their horse. But integrity is then key. If you're able to look at jockeys day in, day out, and say, well, each of those jockeys is trying their utmost and are abiding by the rules of racing, you must obtain the best possible finishing position. That is the above all rule. Welfare is paramount, but the, the biggest rule that a jockey has, you must obtain the best possible finishing position. There is no way Dylan Kitts can say that he abided to that rule. There's no way he can he can look at that rule and say, yeah, I absolutely tried everything I could to obtain the best possible finishing position. So he brings down the entire sport with him. And unfair criticisms that are, are given to jockeys on a daily basis, the abuse that they receive is just, I mean, you've probably got it in the past, Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're probably not feeling very good about yourself when you get beaten in a finish. And you look on Twitter and there's some clown abusing you over it, but it's not your fault. Like the race didn't, maybe you made a mistake, but realistically, you've tried everything you could to win. The race hasn't gone in your favor and you get abused. But this, this is what contributes to that abuse. This kind of behavior and this kind of activity on a race course, that's what makes other people think, well, hang on, are they all at it? And that fundamentally undermines the sport. So the BHA have, you are right, they have acted fast, uh, but they have to, this has to be a zero tolerance. This has to be a hard line. Like this, this kid is going to get banned, no question about that, and it's going to be a lengthy ban. Um, the question is who's going down with them, and it's going to be really interesting to see what they come up with, because are these criminal masterminds? Like whoever is involved in it, like it, it's entirely possible that it's nothing to do with Chris Honor, and nothing to do with the owner. There have been incidents in the past where an outside force was involved in uh, alleged misdeeds and crooked behavior. Um, There has literally been documented stories of a gangster, a legit gangster, cozying up to jockeys and asking them on particular race days, hey, maybe don't win on that horse today. Maybe there's a few quid in it for you if we can pull that off. It's entirely possible that the two parties who are being dragged into this with Dylan Kitts have had nothing to do with it at all. Uh, There have been outside forces who have nobbled horses. There's literally CCTV footage of somebody at Chelmsford who has a criminal record and has no attachment to the ownership or training of that racehorse going in and allegedly administering something to that horse who then tested positive for a banned substance afterwards and ran uh, by falling at the back of the telly in the race. So it's, it's possible that this was outside. It's not very credible, though. And the BHA are really good at this stuff. They are really... Like, the IHRB 
heavily rely on the BHA for these kind of investigations. They are very, very good at getting to the bottom of what has happened in this kind of a case and exposing it. And that's what needs to happen here. It needs to be exposed. A light needs to be shone on it. And we need to then hopefully move on with confidence from the sport. But irrespective of what happens to anybody else who was involved with this, in this, uh, the very fact that Dylan rode in the way that he did and did not obtain the best possible finishing position with his style of riding says to me that he is going to come in for a very lengthy ban. The question then, Louis, becomes, well, how long is that ban going to be? Um, and and that's, that's ultimately the only ones who can make that decision are the BHA. But it's... It's not credible that he can put up a defense that he did try to obtain the best possible finishing position. No, and, and they've only got to go back and, and look at previous rides from Dylan Kitts, like I have done myself, and I'm sure you have, Emmett, that the riding style he, he showed at Worcester was not the same style I've seen in, in previous rides from him. So it's one of them, isn't it? The BHA, I'm sure, are going to do their utmost to make this a, a statement and a grounding for anyone else that feels they can, I guess, be a superhero and try and pull something like this off, but it's not acceptable in, in the sport that me, you, and, and everyone else in it love so much. To have it tarnished like it is in such a light is, um, yeah, it's, it's quite saddening, really. I, I, I don't yeah. like to see it. And if it is influenced by money or something like that, I, I just think as a, as a jockey, you wasn't, you wasn't a jockey for, for the love of doing something where you'd get a backhander if, if that is the case you do it for the love of of the horses the love of the sport and to be influenced like that if this is the case that Dylan Kitts is under I think it's very sad and and I just feel like the BHA are doing everything right at the minute and I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna get this decision spot on for for everyone going forward and to make an example yeah and they have to like they have to this is this is a huge huge performance uh, a, a huge test of them and they're going to have to pass it with flying colors like they're going to have to come down really yeah. hard on anybody who is involved in this it, it's interesting you mentioned dylan kitt's writing style because when this story broke in the back of my mind i was still thinking about the irish derby um yeah and like angus mcnay did a, a piece of analysis for the verdict on racing tv where he said well if you think Adelaide River should have won the Irish Derby. Well, then back him, back him against August Road next time out. You know, and I wish you well with that endeavor, or something along those lines. And I really yeah. liked that analysis, uh, and tweeted to the fact, to that fact, and got a hurricane of piss to mop up on Twitter afterwards. Right? <laughs> it was a hurricane of piss, and like I wasn't saying that. Uh, yeah, see, shame he didn't do anything wrong. I was saying I liked the piece of analysis. I liked the line. That's specifically what I said. Um. My opening line to you about the Irish Derby or about Adelaide River was, Shemi wasn't very forceful in the finish there. And the way you explained Shemi's riding style, the, the running style of Adelaide River, how he'd control the race from the front and what would have been left in the tank when August Roden comes alongside, I thought summed it up perfectly. And while I did have a raised eyebrow at the time, I didn't by the time you had broken down the analysis of it. Uh, and I get that yeah. not everybody interacting with that tweet is going to have listened to what we said. Although you should have. Final Front Podcast, subscribe now. However, that was playing in my mind when I saw this. And I remember thinking, at the time, I remember thinking, first of all, 
if I tweet about this, is it going to look like I'm having a go at a young fella, but not having a go at Shamey when that's not the fact at all? Um, so I deliberately went and looked at what Hilson had done previously. And lo yeah. and behold, there's Dylan Kitts riding him at Exeter. And I counted how many times he used the Prokush. And from the third last to the line, he used the whip six times, at least. Uh, I think it was just six times, but he gives him some some gentle taps that don't count, but six forceful strikes. And in the stewards' inquiry, the trainer was saying that he had uh, reviewed the video that was for a previous trainer, it was for Claire Harris, and that he didn't think the horse responded very well to the whip, and he wanted him to be able to, he wasn't sure about him getting home. And as Ross Millar said, well, if you're not, if you're concerned about the horse's ability to truly stay the trip, what are you upping him in distance for? Why are you running him over two mile four? And why is it such a dramatic turnaround? With the horse clearly responded to the whip the last day. He's finished third when that has been done. He's been pulled up on his subsequent start. Uh, yet now it's like not use the whip at all. Well, did you also tell him to not make any effort whatsoever? Because you don't have to just use your whip. You can be forceful and aggressive in riding the horse out to the finish. You can get into the drive position and try to get the horse to go and finish. That's not what Dylan does at all. So there is, yeah. there's nothing that can be said that he tried to obtain the best possible finishing position. And that's why I'm pretty confident this is going to be a lengthy pan for him. The question is, who's going to go with him? And what did you make of, of Chris Honor's action afterwards? Because the, the comments about receiving death threats, like, some people on Twitter can be absolutely horrible. Vast majority of people are lovely uh, and perfectly reasonable on the tweet machine. That's not okay. It's it's not acceptable that people behave in that manner. But it's a change of tune from him. Like on the day, he was quite supportive of Dylan Kitts. Uh, the next day, it's get those bloody horses out of my yard. Yeah, th- th- there's definitely more. There's more in it to the eye and what we can see from an outsider's view. And I feel like the first day was more so kind of being a team player and and assessing the situation and then waking up in the morning was the realisation of, hang on a minute, this is a lot worse than what we thought and maybe there is no way out of what's to come. I feel like the... I don't want to say it was an erratic decision of saying get the horses out the yard, etc. But it just rings alarm bells to me that maybe he does know more than we do at this stage, yeah. and it's it's an it's an easy way to try and probably take the limelight off him and and push it onto someone else. I I don't know. I don't I don't want to say anything until the penalties have been given and the facts are proven. But it just doesn't. It's a bit suspicious in my eyes how everything turned the tables from the feelings of the first day to the second day. Yeah, I wondered did something emerge? Did he learn something and, yeah. and was and was just disgusted by it? Or was it a case of owners got onto him and said, yo, that's not okay. And like we don't want to have our horses in the yard with that owner. Um, maybe that's what went on. But it, it doesn't look good. The owner professes their innocence. Trainer professes their innocence. Don't think Dylan Kitts has said a whole lot about it, but look, the proof is there. You can. We've all seen it. We've all seen what he's done. Did you obtain the best possible finishing position? Don't even have to answer that, son. You didn't. So yeah, that's him gone. Um, 
this is a this is a talented young writer. Like there can be an argument made that wherever there is the opportunity to make money, there is always going to be an element of skullduggery. Wherever there is the opportunity to benefit financially from something, there is always going to be an element of corruption. You see it in the stock market, you see it in banking, and you see it in racing. Um, the Ronald McNally case, for example, case in point. Uh, Charles Burns, you know, on multiple occasions, receiving bans. Uh, this is this is all stuff that the integrity department of the BHA have to try and police in the best possible way that they can and take action against it. But at the at the middle of all, at the end of all this, you could argue that certain jockeys are going to be tempted, or, or certain trainers are going to be tempted to do a, a nefarious act because they're a victim of circumstance. There's not a whole lot of money from the middle to the very low tiers in racing, and maybe that encourages people to act in a unethical and immoral way. That does not excuse that action at all, and it doesn't make it okay. You choose to work in this sport. You have to strive and work the very best that you can. I think the BHA could do an awful lot more in terms of prize money. I think racing itself needs to take a long, hard look at itself in terms of how much racing there is. But there's no there's no excusing this kind of behavior. People are betting on this sport. People are, are tuning in. They're going to the races. They're watching ITV. They're listening to TalkSport. They're listening to the Nick Look Daily. They're listening to this podcast. You're investing your time and energy in it. If you start to believe that this sport isn't credible or that integrity is a major issue, that undermines the entire product and destroys it. And in, in the at the end of all this, there's a young fella who's quite a talented rider. He hasn't exactly been tearing it up in terms of winners, but he looks like a very capable horseman. He looks like a, a talented young individual. And what trainer is going to be seeking him out now? What owner is going to be going, oh, you know what? Yeah, give Til- give Dylan the ride on that horse. That's the fellow we want riding him. Who's going to be doing that now? Everybody's going to look at this and, and see this for what it is. He's dest- He is potentially destroying his reputation. Even if it somehow emerges that he didn't do anything wrong and that it was just a really bad ride, you're still going to look at that and go, no one's believing that, quite frankly. And also, it just it undermines the sport. Like, who is queuing up to book this guy now, going forward? I no, <sighs> it's it's tarnished his career, isn't it? Like you say, no matter whether he gets a ban or he doesn't get a ban, his career has been tarnished, and and maybe he has been influenced by the wrong people, but. You know, you play this game and you, and you should play it by the rules. We all get granted a license from the BHA and we sign on the dotted line to say, you know, the rules are in place and, and I'm willing to yeah. abide by them. And I think it's just disrespectful disrespectful for for everyone's behalf seeing things like this go on. And it's just it's just it's just not nice to see, especially from a jockey's point of view. Like I d I don't know what he was influenced by or whether that was the case, but if he was so, I uh, he sh- he shouldn't he shouldn't be put in that position as a sportsman to kind of want to go down that road. Can you think of any jockey who has been stood down by uh, a racing authority during an investigation? I, I actually can't. I, I was thinking today. I was thinking 
not from an investigation like this. I, I don't think anyone's been stood down. I think co- cocaine bans, do you not get, I think when you're under investigation after they've took like a hair sample or, or done a, a test on you, I you're feel like you get down stood immediately. down until the, yeah. yeah, that's the only thing I can compare it to. But obviously we're in, we're in two different worlds here. This is completely different. So no, I haven't, Emmett. Well, that's because they think you're compromised in terms of going onto the race course. Like how could you possibly ride um, fairly and how you would be a danger essentially to yourself and a danger to your fellow jockeys and, and to the equine talent, to the horses, if, yeah. if you're compromised like that. Same if you fail a breathalyzer, you're gone, you're out. Uh, that was the whole thing with Sean Levy. Sean Levy was completely innocent, ended up probably, maybe Safi Osborne still wins the the racing league top jockey title, um, but it certainly wasn't helped that Sean Levy was stood down for that. And um, yeah. uh, that was highly embarrassing. That was completely the BHA's fault. Uh, totally their their fault and totally their wrongdoing. Um, but I understand why, like if you've, if you've failed a test for a positive substance, I get why you would stand someone down. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of the Eddie Hearn story. I don't remember him being stood down from riding until they found him guilty. I think the whole thing is that isn't the whole system is you're innocent until proven guilty. Like that's not just an American saying that gets thrown out on a few TV shows here and there, like in Law and Order. Yeah. Like that's that's the way it works. Um, so maybe they've done it for the benefit of his mental health, but it's, maybe they know something. Uh, who knows? It, that's the thing that does as well. It's like the BBC not telling us who's under investigation. What happens? Idiots go on Twitter and start parading around that, oh, it's this presenter yeah. and it's that presenter. And then you have multiple people being named as as doing something horrendous and awful when in fact they did nothing at all and are completely innocent. Like It doesn't help anything. By the way, we really should have done at the top of the show, really should have done the Holly Willoughby. Are you okay? Yeah. I know it's been tough. I, I know we struggled with the tips of the weekend and the horses didn't really come in, but... I hope you're okay. What the f- And there's another one. There's another one at it, Louis. Oh my God, what's going on? What is going on in the world of mainstream television that these people walk amongst? Jesus Christ. Anyway, uh, from one morally questionable behavior to another, um, look, we'll cover it on the final furlong. We'll cover it on Racing Live and TalkSport 2, but it's, it's a mess of a story. It really is. Um, and I hope the BHA gets to the bottom of it. Uh, finally, yeah, Fozzy Stack has won a Group One or Grade One. Yeah, um, this was huge. Uh, shout out to Tom Collins um, from Sky Sports Racing. He was on uh, Racing Live on Talksport Two with Louis and I on Thursday, and um, he talked up Aspen Grove. Didn't put her up as a selection, and and it would be wrong to say that that he did, uh, but he did put up Farbridge, and was pretty damn confident that Farbridge was going to win, and um, he ends up taking the Belmont Invitational Derby. Um, beating the Foxes, and uh, shout out to, to Tom about that. We'll have him back on Racing Live very soon. I'm hoping that what we do is we get Tom and Naomi together, and um, we'll be doing stuff for the Breeders' Cup, Touchwood, all been well, please God, and hopefully we'll have Barry Faulkner back on for that too, but uh, he, he's a, he's really good and very much worth a follow on the old social media as well. Uh, but Aspen Grove, trained by Fuzzy Stack, daughter of Justify, that was the thing that was drawing me into her, just the Justify element. Um, but I didn't see her winning this race. She was drawn terribly. Um, she did get Oshin Murphy for the first time. 
which was a, a huge asset to her. But to me, it, it looked like on paper to me, Louis, it looked like, oh, we're, we're going to take her over to America and we're going to keep her there. She's going to stay stateside. And this was like the last run for Aspen Grove. Um, that doesn't appear to be the case at all, in fact. Uh, it, no. it seems though she is coming back uh, to his base in Ireland, but will be targeting more American races. What did you make of this performance? Yeah, great performance. I think the step up to a mile and a quarter obviously seen her to, to better effects than, than previous. I mean, there's no hiding place that, you know, she's a, she's a group three winner before winning this this race in, in America. But lovely ride from O'Sheen, bad draw, got, got the tactic spot on and the splits come at the right time, didn't they? I mean, I got goosebumps watching it when she come through and, and it really was a feel-good story for, for Fozzie Stack and, and his team. I mean, you know, this is fairy tale stuff to take a, a filly like this over there and, and do what she done. It's, it's, it's great. And these are... These are things that we we love to see in racing, aren't they? The the I guess you could say, in, in no offence, but the, the lower league of the pecking order coming up trumps and, and winning these these big races. It's it's great to see and uh, delighted for everyone involved. Yeah, and, and look, there is obviously there is a narrative that our turf horses or our grass horses, as the Americans would say, um, are just superior to the Americans. That's not the case anymore. Um, you see Wesley Ward, not in recent years, but. Um, you see Wesley Ward go to Royal Ascot and win with ex dirt horses going on to turf um, in, in the two-year-old races and older horses. Uh, we had a Crimson, was it Crimson Dynamite? Was that the name of the horse? Uh, who who won the Queen Mary this year for American Connections? Like they do really well, and and the grass racing was always seen as a second-class citizen in, in, in American racing. It was like yeah, whatever. They didn't really care about it that much. It was all about the dirt, and that's not really the case anymore. Turf racing now has the prestige that dirt racing always enjoyed. Um, it's becoming something that the American owners and trainers want to be more involved in and more part of, and they end up winning the Derby, and they've got a really good record of, of retaining those big prizes now with their top turf horses. Um, but she has come over as a Group 3 winner, thoroughly well-beaten in, in the Irish 1000 guineas, and yet she's just too good for them here. And uh, I thought it was a great piece of placing from the stacks to, to take her over. Um, genuinely, my thought process was, oh, she's probably going to stay there. Uh, but delighted to hear that she's going to come back. And it does seem as though it's going to be American racing going forward for her. Like she'll be prepped in, in Ireland, but we'll, I think it's Saratoga. They're going for a race with her next month in. And um, they're looking at a great one in Delmar as well. Um, but you can aim pretty highly with her now, and that prize money is significantly better there than it is I here. Know. It's just opened up more options, isn't it? Isn't it for the Fozzy Stack team? The fact she she's gone out there and handled handled everything, and and I mean done it so impressively. I'm um, going forward the Breeders' Cup and and whatnot is just, I mean, just what dreams are made of, isn't it? For for people like that, and especially the fact she's a filly and. She'll probably be worth a fortune after just doing what she done. Let alone, hopefully, she can do more. It's uh, it's great to see and a real deserved winner of that race. Yeah, very much so. Um, the Racing Post very helpfully do the currency conversion of prize money. So the Irish one thousand guineas was worth two hundred and eighty five thousand euro to the winner. Um, euro is not worth as much as sterling, obviously. Uh, yeah. The winner of the Belmont Oaks, Aspen Grove got £229,166.67 of the King's Finest Sovereigns. Not dollars. That's not bad, is it? That's pretty damn good. 
That's pretty damn good. Um, and not far off what Tahira would have won in the Oaks, uh, in the in the Irish 1000 Guineas. That's pretty damn impressive. Um, but best of luck to her uh, going forward. And the big win for Justify as well, because yeah, been a lot of talk about him. Um, really enjoyed Aidan O'Brien breaking down a few weeks ago before the derby about um, what Justify's types are, uh, that they're middle distance prospects. That's what, what they're going to be. And that you know, No Name Ever is not going to get you a winner of an arc. No Name Ever is not going to get you a derby winner. Justify could. That's, what, that's how important mm-hmm. Justify is going to be. And it's going to be really exciting to see what he can do going forward because all of the top Coolmore mares are going there and you see all of the bigger owners... Uh, the other big owners as well are sending their top mares to him too. So very interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. Um, right, what was your, I think we both know what the answer to this is, but what was your standout performance from the weekend, Louis Stewart? Paddington all day long. Doing handstands. Doing handstands. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's, as, I don't think we're being greedy. All we want is for Paddington to run in the Sussex Stakes, Judmont International, the Irish champion stakes, and then maybe the arc or a clash with his good old stable companion, August Rodan in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Similar to Dylan Thomas and Henry the Navigator, both was it Henry the Navigator and Duke of Marmalade both ran in the Breeders' Cup Classic together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's greedy. I think that's that's perfectly reasonable to suggest that. Just all the big group ones. I mean, if he can achieve that, he wants to be taking Neil Callan's name of Iron Man because <laughs> that would be some feat, wouldn't it? <laughs> and don't egg me on to say anything more about Neil because you... apparently he heard what I said the other day and he was riding out the other morning and said something about, I don't know, my mentions of him on, on your podcast. So we won't go down the Neil Callan route, but this horse would be Iron Man if he did feat that. I think what you were saying is uh, about the... Uh, the (laughs) (laughs) I knew, I knew Neil Callan had heard this show and had heard your comments about those beautiful pearly white teeth uh, the second he retweeted but said nothing. (laughs) The second it was just a random retweet but no comment. I was like, oh yeah, he knows. I actually meant it in a way that he has very nice teeth. So I don't know where the miscommunication was, but I had a message off Luke Morris one morning and he goes, that Neil Cullen, not happy with you, mate. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I said, don't tell him where I live. <sighs> it's war. It's on now. Yeah. Um, hopefully we'll be talking to Neil in the coming weeks on uh, on TalkSport 2 and hopefully we'll get it on the final four long as well because I think that we're getting closer and closer to strike action, quite frankly, and I... I I get it, um, and I would be fully supportive of the jockeys as well. It's a crazy, ludicrous situation with the whip bands. But if if it now ends up that Neil comes on, is like, you talking about my bloody teeth? You bastard! Like, do I have to like wear a helmet when I'm going? Do I need personal protection? Do I need like? Do we need to get you a security team and a bulletproof vest? And or is it all just bands? No, no, just just bands. But just say Neil, it was just a compliment. We're we're not we're not offending you in any way just all love and compliments and we all wish we had teeth like yours <laughs> speak for and yourself leave mate. it at that speak yeah for, speak for yourself as i have a trip to the dentist coming up oh dear me oh, um all right neil callan uh 
Shout out to Neil Callan, shout out to Luke Morris, and shout out to everybody who's listening. Um, if you have not already entered uh, the competition for the Galway races, we're going to announce the winner on Thursday. We have got three chances to win three tickets for any three days of the Galway races. It's all the threes, Louis. Uh, so it's your opportunity yourself and two friends to head to the Galway races for any three days you choose. Um, and there will be three individual winners of this prize. You can enter on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, you can email me. All the ways to do so uh, are on the Twitter page at Radio Emmet or at Final Furlong Podcast. Uh, all you have to do is just send us a screen grab that you are subscribed to the Final Furlong Podcast on whichever podcast app it is you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, whoever you use, just sh- send us a screen grab with the subscribe button or follow button clicked and that enters you automatically for the competition. Uh, you and two of your friends heading to any three days of the Galway races that you so choose. Uh, And the Galway races is going to be an absolute blinder this year. I'm really looking forward to it. If you don't win, don't worry. You can still get there. Galwayraces.com. Tickets are on sale now. But get your entries into us. And if you've already entered, well, then get a friend or your wife or your husband or your kids, whatever. Get their social media and get them to enter on your behalf as well. Uh, we will announce the winners on Thursday's show. Very best of luck to you, courtesy of ourselves and GalwayRaces.com. Seven days of amazing racing at the Galway Festival from Monday the 31st of July to Sunday the 6th of August. Book your tickets now at GalwayRaces.com or win them with the Final Frontline Podcast. Just send in a screen grab of you subscribed or following the Final Frontline Podcast on whichever podcast app it is you like. Uh, get that into us now, and we will announce the three individual winners later on this week. Uh, from Louis Stewart, thank you so much, my friend. Really enjoyed this. You're back on with me on TalkSport 2. Is it, is it this week? Is it Friday or Saturday? I'm not sure, but it will be one of those uh, days pretty soon. Wednesday, I believe. I think I got switched. Ah. Oh. So you, you get Lee McKenzie's dulcet tones then on Wednesday. Uh, I'm on air on Friday and Saturday. By the way, now that you don't have to truck the length and breadth of the United Kingdom anymore um, to be a jockey, are you going to be heading off to the cinema to see Tom Cruise almost die pulling off these ridiculous stunts in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? For sure. Who would not want to see that? That's going to be a billion-dollar movie. I cannot wait for that. Literally. It's going to be massive, isn't it? It's in. It's insane. I, I think I'm going on Wednesday. Is that right? I think. Yeah, I think we're going Wednesday. Um, I can't wait for that. I, I'm overly excited about that film. I shouldn't be this excited about it. Um, but that... Is, is he just on a... Like, as an adrenaline junkie, as a, as a former jockey? Like, the stunt that he pulls off in this, and I'm sure most people have seen it, it could look CGI. It the one where he's on the motorbike going off the cliff. Like anybody yeah. else, that's a stunt double, that's some bloke who's doing it for them, or they're doing it on a green screen. Not Tom Cruise. They literally built uh, a staging area. They went up to I think it was Sweden or one of the Scandi countries, and he takes a dirt bike and drives it off a cliff and then parachute jumps with the bike alongside him. That's multiple ways to die. Like, that's just... Is he trying to get himself killed and go out in a blaze of glory? Or is he just, like, the last true action hero? Oh, he just thrives if it doesn't he. But that makes him even more exciting, doesn't you? And, and there's something about when, when the 
when someone like Tom Cruise actually does his own stunts, it, ju- it just makes the whole thing more intriguing and, and you just want to watch. I Actually, Tom Cruise is very good friends with Ahmed Al Sheikh, uh, Green Team's racing, uh, his owner. And I remember him, his son actually told me one day that Tom Cruise went to visit them in Dubai and he landed his helicopter in their back garden. So clearly he is just an adrenaline freak and that is the man himself. Straight away, as you were saying that, my mind went to six degrees of separation and went, so we are potentially able to get Tom Cruise on the show. That's your job now. You now have to yeah, go to work and exactly. wait to get up. <laughs> yeah, I bet he can't wait. Of all the media engagements, the Graham Norton show, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy yeah. Fallon's like, and never mind all that, final furlong, let's go. Let's, yeah, no problem, let's do it. join him. Um, the Whatever about his personal life and the stuff that, that he gets up to, like Scientology, look, each to their own. He's a phenomenal actor. And probably is the last big movie star. Like the last big true Hollywood star is is Tom Cruise. Um, Top Gun Maverick was just phenomenal. And that film really should have been a cheesy, forgettable, regrettable sequel. It was one of the best films of last year. It was an amazing film. Yeah. I would happily sit back and rewatch that again. That opening scene with the Dark Star jet, ridiculous. But I'm... I'm going to rewatch um, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Mission Impossible Fallout in, in the next couple of days because there's, there's, there's so much good stuff to watch there. They're, they're fantastic. I can't wait. And I, I know that this is going to end on a cliffhanger and I still can't wait to see it. It's, it's brilliant. All right. Uh, so, Louis, off to the cinema to see the new Mission Impossible film. Uh, me, off to see it as well in different countries, but hey. Uh, hopefully we'll enjoy it uh, we're both back on Racing Live on TalkSport 2 Louis there Wednesday I'm on on Friday and Saturday we should be doing a weekend preview for you on the Final Forum podcast as well on Thursday I believe maybe Friday um, but yeah we'll get that out for you too and there's some more special shows coming uh, your way as well thanks so much for listening look after yourself be safe be well we'll talk to you soon God bless you